As we begin our time in the Word this morning, I want to return to Jonah chapter 2, just for a moment. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. In Jonah chapter 2, Jonah found himself in the belly of the great fish. Moments before that, Jonah had been in grave danger of drowning in the open water, But then the fish had come by and, of course, we know, had swallowed Jonah. So now Jonah found himself alive inside the fish with a pocket of air to breathe, and Jonah prayed. And the final utterance that Jonah made in his prayer, the last exclamation Jonah made before the fish spat him out onto the dry land is recorded for us in Jonah 2, verse 9 Jonah had exclaimed, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. Deliverance belongs to Yahweh. Rescue belongs to Yahweh. It's Yahweh, the Lord, who mightily comes to the rescue of those in grave danger. Amen? Jonah had been staggered, hadn't he, by the mighty salvation that God had worked for him when that fish swam by. Jonah had been so thrilled and so full of praise to God in that moment when God had miraculously saved him from his peril. But, as Jonah 4 opens, we see a very different shade of Jonah. Remember the immediate context here as the fourth chapter of Jonah begins. God has just decided in the story, he's just decided to relent, to relent concerning his decision to overthrow Nineveh or overturn Nineveh. God is exercising his mercy and God is exercising his grace toward the repentant terrorist savages in Nineveh. How does Jonah process this relenting on the part of God? Jonah 4 verse 1, but it, that is, the relenting and mercy that God gave Nineveh, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. I want to read this verse to you from just a couple additional English versions, just to let it kind of really hit us, let it seep into our thinking. So so how does Jonah process the mercy and the compassion that God has just exercised for Nineveh, common English Bible? But Jonah thought this was utterly wrong, and he became angry. New Jerusalem Bible This made Jonah very indignant, and he fell into a rage. So get this, friends. The the prophet of God named Jonah is indignant, angry, upset, as God exercises compassion on Nineveh. This should make us say, wow as we read this text. As John McKay has pointed out, a calamity has just been averted for Nineveh, but now we have a new calamity in the story. 
And the calamity is Jonah's attitude. Jonah is fuming mad. He is disgusted. That's the word that uh, uh, Stuart uses in his commentary when he translates this. Jonah is disgusted with God's mercy toward Nineveh. As Daniel Timmer has put it, Jonah is more upset with Nineveh's deliverance than Yahweh was with its sin. One more time, Jonah is more upset with Nineveh's deliverance than Yahweh was with its sin. Indeed, Jonah was all too happy to exclaim, Salvation belongs to the Lord when that salvation applied to him. But where Nineveh is concerned, it's an entirely different, different matter. Not them, Lord. No way. These enemies of your people don't deserve mercy. This is Jonah. These barbaric troublemaker types don't deserve your grace. What they deserve, Lord, is destruction. Remember, friends, this Jonah who is fuming mad over God's mercy to the Ninevites is the same Jonah whose flagrant rebellion against God landed him in storm and in fish. Only sheerly, sheerly by God's mercy did Jonah see the daylight on the beach again. Mercy and grace for him, sure, but, but not, not for the Ninevites. This was outrageous on God's part. Let's go to verse 2. Now the fuming, angry Jonah prays. Never a great idea. I've done this before, fuming mad at God and going to prayer. So Jonah, fuming mad, prays, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, O Yahweh, is not this, this, notice the word this, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? Now here, the word this refers to God's relenting. The idea is, is this relenting of yours not what I said would happen when I was yet in my country? <laughs> or we could phrase it, is this mercy that you have shown Nineveh not, not what I predicted would happen when I was yet in my country? Jonah lets us in on the fact here that even before, even before he went down to Joppa to board that ship, he had predicted that something like this would happen, that God would end up exercising mercy on Nineveh. This would be just typical of God to do this sort of thing. Now, what's very interesting in this part of the verse, friends, and what gives us some pause, I think, especially when we read it in the original Hebrew here, is that Jonah, listen, literally uses the phrase, my word. So Jonah says, literally, was this not my word? 
when I was yet in my country. That's literally what the Hebrew text says here. Was this not my word when I was yet in my country? The idea is, God, you issued your word to me, that command you gave me to go to Nineveh, but then I issued my own word, my word that predicted that you would act in this merciful way that you're acting toward Nineveh. And Lord, the word that I heeded was my word, not yours. In Jonah's reckoning, there had been a contest of sorts between the word of God and the word of Jonah, which as readers of the story, we know is really no contest at all. But Jonah effectively says here, my word that I declared when I was still in my country ended up being the true word, Lord. I predicted this relenting that you have done here. It's just like you, Lord, to exercise compassion on people who don't deserve it. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, says Jonah, that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in hesed, in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. That's why I left. Whoa. <laughs> wow, Jonah. Wow, what, what's going on with you here? There's so much in this text to talk about. And again, as, as we always advise from the pulpit, I'm going to advise myself and advise you all, let's not any of us distance ourselves too much from Jonah here. <laughs> Otherwise, I think we miss the point. God would have us, each of us, humble ourselves before him. Don't look around at anybody else so that we can see in fuming Jonah a picture of ourselves, a picture of our own tendencies and our own attitudes. May God make us, each of us, aware of the places that we still have to go by God's grace in terms of our own sanctification and our own holiness. May the word work uncomfortably on us and yet redemptively. Amen? So Jonah here, what does he do? He quotes a well-known passage from Exodus 34. Let's look at this for a minute. So he quotes Exodus 34, where the Lord had described his own character. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's Exodus, Exodus 34, verse 6. Now, when God initially uttered those words in Exodus 34, he did it in the wake of Israel's shocking rebellion against him with the golden calf. Israel could be very thankful with their descent into rebellion with the building of the calf. They could be very thankful that their God was merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, and that creed in Exodus 34, it became like a creed. That creed about God's wonderful, merciful, compassionate character, it became very important throughout the history of Israel 
Uh, those words of Exodus 34 get repeated in several contexts again and again throughout the Old Testament literature. Jonah quotes Exodus 34. What Jonah has real issues with, listen, what he has real issues with is Israel's God being who he is, Israel's God acting out of his character. He has, Jonah has issues with that, acting like that toward an enemy nation who is not Israel. Jonah has serious issues with God exercising mercy and grace and slowness of anger toward Ninevites, those barbaric enemy people. Jonah finds this to be what T.D. Alexander calls a regrettable weakness in the divine makeup, exercising this mercy, this compassion toward a deplorable people like the Ninevites. Notice very carefully, my brothers and sisters in Christ, notice very, very carefully, what does Jonah do here? Jonah puts God's word in God's face to say to God, essentially, I told you so. What Jonah does here is he says, look, God, it's right there in your word. Exodus 34, this is who you are. And as Israelites, we're very thankful for these attributes, but, but you're going to act in this same compassionate way toward our enemy? Toward this terrorist state? Toward the Assyrians? They're going to be in on your mercy? Yes, friends, notice the simple fact that here Jonah dares to use God's word, that passage from Exodus 34, to justify his own rebellion in fleeing to Tarshish. This is staggering. But you see, we as Christians are not immune from this same thing. We are not immune from using our Bible scouring it for verse and chapter to justify what at the end of the day is our opposition to God and feeling self-righteous about it. Ouch. But true. That's why it's in God's word. Timothy Keller puts it like this. He says, quote, Jonah here uses the sacred text to justify his inordinate indignation, anger, and bitterness. What Jonah is doing, says Keller, is a great danger for religious people, even the most devout Christians. It is possible to use the Bible selectively to justify oneself. Yes, indeed. One more time, Keller observes, it is possible to use the Bible selectively to justify oneself. He says this further. He says, we are reading and using the Bible rightly only when it humbles us, critiques us, and encourages us with God's love and grace despite our flaws. 
Jonah's use of the Bible is not bringing him joy, but rather taking him to the brink of despair. I think, friends, we need to ponder this. What Jonah does here is he explains, listen, he explains why he sinned by marshalling the Bible. (laughs) He explains why he sinned by marshalling the Bible. He gives a reason to God from God's Bible to justify himself fleeing to Tarshish. This is really amazing. Jonah's heart, I hope we can see, clearly his heart dwells in a different postal code than God's heart. And Jonah uses the word of God to justify his sour heart, to justify his disobedience to God. Fleeing to Tarshish, instead of simply repenting, right? Instead of, in this moment, instead of repenting before God for his callousness, getting some self-awareness, for his willful, willful snub of God, repenting for that and for his unjustified anger, instead of falling on his knees in humble contrition before God, letting God break him, Jonah dares to explain away his sin by referring to God's own word. Again, none of us, myself included, are beyond this. Spirit, help us even right now. I'm praying, examine our hearts as we expose ourselves to your holy word. Chop away at the stony places in us, the the unself-aware places, Lord the stubborn places, the antichrist places. Transform us by your word even now. Jonah has issues with God being God. That's what he has issues with. Jonah has issues with God freely exercising his mercy as he has on these people, these Ninevites. And Jonah has issues with the Ninevites themselves who he's just gone and preached to. Jonah is exceedingly angry because of God's grace and because Jonah doesn't like the recipients of that grace, his neighbors, the Ninevites. I think, friends, Jonah, like so many of us, like so many of us, could stand to do some hard work in the field of divine economics. Understanding the divine economy. How God operates because of who God is, which to us, in our human economy, often seems so scandalous, doesn't it? Listen. Listen to the economy of God here. God is the one who chooses to pay a single denarius to the worker in his vineyard who worked only one hour, just as he chooses to pay that same rate, a single denarius, to the worker who worked the entire day. And something in us says, scandalous. God is the one who, despite the obedient elder brother's protests, and Jonah here looks very much like the elder brother, 
Despite the elder brother's protests, God throws the party of the century to welcome back his rebellious prodigal son. God's economy. God is the one friend who freely forgives your massive, unpayable sin debt when you were in hopeless arrears. God is the one, I want you to listen, God is the one who is free indeed, free indeed, to pour out his blessing on that person in your life who you don't like, who has wronged you, who has hurt you. God is free to pour out his blessing on that person. God is the one who may choose to lavish his grace on that person you hate, on that person you consider your enemy. God's heart, God's economy is so utterly different, friends, than the one that we are used to. If you're a Christian, you recognize that God came looking for you before you ever came looking for him. That God saved you, that God rescued you, that God delivered you, not because of anything special in you, but sheerly by his grace. Salvation belongs to the Lord indeed. This is the God who in, in his utter freedom says this, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. That's God. According to Romans 5, you and I were weak. We were sinners. We were rebels like Jonah, rebels against God and God's designs. We were, in fact, enemies of God, says Romans 5, opposed to God. And what did God do? God sent his son to die on our behalf, <laughs> to be slain in our place, in the place of his enemies on the cross, that we might be set free, that we might be forgiven, that we might have eternal life. Talk about undeserved mercy and grace to people who only deserved God's wrath. In 1994, <clears throat> a pastor named Roy Ratcliffe received a message that there was a prisoner housed in a prison near him who wanted to be baptized. This prisoner who was requesting baptism was serving 15 consecutive life sentences for the murder of 17 people. And his name was Jeffrey Dahmer. Dahmer wanted to be baptized because Jesus saved him. And so Pastor Ratcliffe met with Dahmer and baptized Jeffrey Dahmer in the spring of that same year. And only eight months after his baptism, Dahmer would be murdered by another inmate. Now most of us know about the nature of Dahmer's absolutely horrific crimes. He is one of the most notorious American serial killers ever. He committed unspeakable crimes and he caused much grief to many people. The question is, 
Is God's grace large enough? Is God's grace great enough to bring even a Ninevite like Jeffrey Dahmer into the family of God? As believers, can we wrap our minds around right now? I mean, just think about meeting Jeffrey Dahmer in heaven one day. Pastor Ratcliffe, who discipled and baptized Dahmer, said this of him. He said, on the great resurrection day, I'm expecting to see him. To see Jeffrey Dahmer right along there with Abraham, David, Isaac, John, and all the saints that have lived right up to the modern day. My friends, what about us? Are, are we on the same grace page as this pastor? Do, do we understand God's mercy and grace as being that free, that large, that tremendous? Or, like Jonah, do we insist that God stick to our playbook concerning who is worthy of God's grace and who is not. This week, I want to encourage you to be happy to let God be God. God is good, God is wiser than us. Thank God for that. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we believe, as has been prayed already this morning, that even a Vladimir Putin can be brought into your family by your powerful, magnificent grace, but only in that way. And so we do pray for his soul. Lord God, we thank you that you brought us, sinners all, into your family when we were weak enemies opposed to you, and that you did that all by yourself. Lord, salvation belongs to you. In terms of every human being on this earth, you are the one who seeks us, who loves us first, that we would love you. Father, I pray as we go into this week into a broken, dark, anxious world, that we would be beacons of this grace, beacons of this mercy that is very real and very all-powerful. And Father, that you would help us by your spirit, empower us to be ambassadors of Christ wherever we are, in, in the workplace, in the, in the school, in the home, wherever we are, Lord, to be beacons of your mercy, grace, love, faithfulness. Help us, Lord, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.